We're considering this morning this particular subject, and that is the greatest qualification for effective ministry. And we're using the word ministry today in a very general sense. That word ministry and the word service are the same word in the Greek text. And so consequently, what we're looking at is there is something that is foundational, fundamental, at the very core of what qualifies a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Long time ago, on one snowing morning at 5 a.m., a missionary candidate rang the bell at a missionary examiner's home. Ushered into the office, he sat three hours past his appointment time waiting for his interview. At 8 a.m., a retired missionary appeared and began his questioning. Can you spell? Rather mystified, the candidate answered, yes, sir. All right. Spell Baker. B-A-K-E-R. Fine. Now, do you know anything about numbers? The examiner continued. Uh, Yes, sir, something. Please add two plus two. Four, replied the candidate. That's fine, said the examiner. I believe you have passed. I'll tell the board tomorrow. At the board meeting, the examiner reported on the interview. He has all the qualifications for a fine missionary. First, I tested him on self-denial, making him arrive at my home at five in the morning. He left a warm bed on a snowy morning without any complaint. Second, I tested him on promptitude. He arrived on time. Third, I examined him on patience. I made him wait three hours to see me. Fourth, I tested him on temper. He failed to show any anger or aggravation. Fifth, I tried his humility by asking him questions that a seven-year-old child could answer easily, and he showed no indignation. So you see, I believe the candidate meets the requirements. He will make the fine missionary that we need. What's the greatest, single, most important qualification for effective ministry that there is? The Bible text tells us, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children and have revealed them to babes. When Solomon of old was being inaugurated as king over Israel, God said, you may ask whatever you wish. What do you want? Fine clothes? Lots of wealth? Solomon answered this, I lack wisdom. I'm like a child. I don't know how to lead this people out and to bring them back safely. 
my father David did. God said, you will have that kind of wisdom granted to you. And all the other things you did not ask for, I will give to you. Our premise this morning is that while God never, ever leads us to childishness, He always leads us in the path of a childlike spirit. With a childlike spirit, anything can be done by God's direction and by His dynamic working through His Holy Spirit. Wish that we, no matter how old we become, never lose a childlike spirit spirit, and attitude before Almighty God. And as we look at this text, we're going to examine what does a childlike spirit look like. This morning, we're headed in this direction. First, we will note an all-encompassing discernment. An all-encompassing discernment. Secondly, we will consider the sure Fired disqualifier. And verse 25 gives us a surefire disqualifier. And by the way, verse 25 is not putting down the use of intelligence, but as the secret dynamic for effective ministry. It won't be that, it'll always be. To quote the words of the Apostle Paul, to Galatians. In Christ, we come to the Father, calling him Dada, or Abba, Father. A child-like spirit. Thirdly, we'll look at an ever-relevant dynamic. I'll give them to you again a little bit later as we work our way through. First of all, an all-encompassing discernment. Before we get into the text, I feel a need to ask the Lord to bless us with his presence and his wisdom. Let's talk to him now. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable In your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Note the all-encompassing discernment. Three observations. I got a kick out of uh, the devotional we had last Wednesday. We talked about that a little bit later. Did you notice there that the word observation was used? And my dear, as my dear brother looked at me with a little bit of a smirk or a grin on his face, yeah, I caught that, and I thought that was great. Unless you don't like the word observation, of course. Three observations. Number one, recognize the Father's presence. Look at our text. Note this, before we see men, we must see God. Jesus invited men to himself after he spoke with his Father. Look at the invitation of this this particular passage. 
Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a rest. And we know that passage, and we know it well. But before that invitation is made, it was made after he spoke with his father. Oh, Father, be pleased to reveal your word and to hide your word. Jesus adored his father. He loved being in his presence. The communion that Jesus had with God the Father was as natural as father and son fishing together. You don't have to think of something flowery to say to your dad. After all, he knows a whole lot more than we could ever know until we reach about 15 and then he gets dumber And then maybe around 22 or 23, he gets smarter again. But dad understands that because he was a boy once himself. But it's so neat. As father and son fish together, they're focused on what's being done. And they're near each other. And they like each other. And they're comfortable with each other. And Jesus was always comfortable in his father's presence. The Gospel of John in particular, Jesus mentions over and over and over again, even as the Father has loved me and I have loved the Father. The Apostle John can't stop talking about the love of God, the love that God the Father had for God the Son that had for God the Holy Spirit. God loves God. And we are recipients of that love. Jesus openly confessed his submission to the Father's will. Verse 27 of our text, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Observation number two. Recognize the Father's sovereignty. First, we recognize the Father's presence. Now we recognize his sovereignty. He is Lord of all. I love Pastor Reed's emphasis. Jesus is the King. He is the King. He is the King. By the way, I love Pastor Reed as well. What a dear brother. What a servant God has given to this body. I praise thee, Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus says in this text. Reminds us of a song that we sang a little while ago, namely this morning. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious. Thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting. Unresting, unhasting? Would God ever say to us, you've made me winded. I've got to catch my breath. Not God. He doesn't need to rest. We can't wear him out. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Well, I'll weary God if I come to him too much. Let me ask you. If your own beloved child in the flesh can wear you out 
Can you imagine that? Can you think of that? How could that happen? Children are such a heritage to us. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. The small quiver held seven arrows. The large quiver held 14 arrows. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. Full of what? Kids. They refresh the spirit. My beloved David, my beloved Carrie, my beloved Dominic, my beloved Nate, and beloved spouses of two of those, my beloved Amy, my beloved Sparky. Sparky Grace is my son-in-law's name. I love the name. Sparky speaks to me of life. And of course, Grace. (laughs) It's great to hand a daughter over to one whose last name is Grace. They could never wear me out. Sandy, you ever get tired of watching little Griffin? Cutest little bugger that was ever around. It's fun to watch him grow. Sometimes it's embarrassing. A lot of times it's tiring. But it's great. Watch this. Of Almighty God, unresting, unhasting, silent is light, nor wanting nor wasting, Thou rulest in might, thy justice, like mountains high soaring above thy clouds, which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small, in all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but naught changeth thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, O help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. Observation number three. Recognize the Father's design. Recognize the Father's design. Thou didst hide, thou didst reveal. When God chooses to close, nobody's going to open. And when God chooses to open, no one's going to close. Well, very simply, it doesn't take a genius to figure this conclusion. Hence, if we follow him, we're okay. Because he will stop us when we need to be stopped. And he'll move us forward when we need to move forward. We trust him. Turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Book of Acts chapter 16. Love this passage. This is a passage. Whoa. Chapter 16, verse 6. I'll be reading through verse 10. The Apostle Paul and his associates, Timothy and Silas, are on their missionary journey. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wait a minute. What's the word they're going to speak? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit says, No! Yeah, but it's the God. No! But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God said through the Holy Spirit, this door I'm closing. At least for now, I'm closing the door for now. What do we do? Well, we keep following the Master. When they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What happened? Another door slammed. Can't, can't go. Well, I can open it. No, you can't. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Two doors closed, one door open. Where do we go? Through the open door. Well, let's sit down and cry for a while. Like crying our soup. You ever hear that expression? Let's sit down here and moan moan the fact we've been stopped. So, sometimes he closes and sometimes he opens. Secondly, consider with me please the surefire disqualifier. The surefire disqualifier. Thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent. Three observations. Number one, a manufactured calling. Have you ever tried to give yourself a calling thinking that this was God's will? Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Here is what one kind of manufactured calling looks like. Jeremiah chapter 23. Verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Well, I had a vision. Verse 21, same chapter. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Look at verse 25, same chapter. I'll be reading through verse 32. Verse 25. Well, I tell you, I wish these numbers were a little bit larger. Uh, That doesn't relate to our sermon directly. But you can pray about that if you like as I'm working through. Verse 25. I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, 
that they may tell one another, even so, as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, and declare declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. When you choose to listen or watch someone through the media that claims to declare God's word, test them. Don't necessarily assume that they're all quacks, otherwise you'll have to assume that any of us who preach are quacks because some are. But test them this way. And if it doesn't match, turn them off. And do not bid them Godspeed. Don't send them a buck. Turn them away from that which is easily at their claw. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones gives some insight with reference to a pastor, one who's called to minister in that capacity with the Word of God. He says, a call generally starts in the form of a consciousness within one's own spirit, an awareness of a kind of pressure being brought to bear upon one's own spirit, some disturbance in the realm of the spirit, then that your mind is being directed to the whole question of preaching. You've thought about it deliberately. deliberately. You have not sat down in cold blood to consider possibilities, and then having looked at several, have decided, well, I'll take this up. It is not that. This is something that happens to you. It is God dealing with you. It is God acting upon you by His Holy Spirit. It is something you become aware of rather than what you do. It is thrust upon you. It is presented to you and almost forced upon you constantly in this way. But we must go on to something yet deeper. There should always be a sense of restraint. This is surely the most crucial test. It means that you have the feeling that you can do nothing else. It was Mr. Spurgeon, I believe, who used to say to young men, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. I would certainly say that without any hesitation whatsoever. I would say that the only man who is called to preach is the man who cannot do anything else in the sense that he is not satisfied with anything else. This call to preach is so put upon him, and such pressure comes to bear upon him that he says, I can do nothing else, I must preach. If it's self-manufactured, it's not worth anything. It's worth less. A manufactured call is a surefire disqualification for ministry. Observation number two. Or a self-sustained ministry. 
God got me started, and he may really have got us started, and then we tend to think, I can do this now. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had between four to six hundred men every time he preached on a Sunday morning to five to six thousand in the Metropolitan Tabernacle underneath the pulpit. Now, it wasn't one of these because they can't fit. Half of me couldn't fit under this. But there was a room under that platform. The tabernacle was sort of like a sort of like a, an oval. There were people sitting up behind in balconies all around. And Spurgeon preached without notes. He had memorized everything that he had studied. With 600 people praying, with many years of experience, with his tremendous, unbelievable mental capability. It was known that Spurgeon quite often would come to the door coming into the tabernacle proper. And as he cracked open the door and saw the people waiting for that service to begin, this was his most common statement. Oh, God, help. I cannot do this. Help. Spurgeon knew that a self Sustained ministry is a lie. It can't work. It won't work. The Apostle Paul knew this. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians he writes, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Also in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in 2 Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Observation number three. An earthbound progression an earth-ground-bound progression. I did not reveal these things to the wise and intelligent. Listen to the fifth affirmation of the Humanist Manifesto of 1933, which, by the way, was written 40 years later in 1973. This Humanist Manifesto says this, Humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. Obviously, humanism does not deny the possibility of realities as yet undiscovered, but it does insist that the way to determine the existence and value of any and all realities is by means of intelligent inquiry and by the assessment of their relation to human needs. Religion must formulate its hopes and plans in the light of the scientific spirit and method. Listen to what God says in contrast. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. And let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, 
justice, righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And that is God's manifesto. And that is without error. Hence, it works. Thirdly, consider with me, please, the ever-relevant dynamic. What's this dynamic of a childlike spirit? After a Sunday school lesson, a little girl was found quoting Psalm 23, verse 1. Although the child didn't quite quote it right, she had the right idea when she said, The Lord is my shepherd, I got all I want. Yes. <laughs> That's a dynamic answer. Where did that come from? Here's where it came from. Four observations. They're relatively quick. Number one. One who is needy knows that he is needy. Hence, the little gal. The Lord is my shepherd. I got all I want. That childlike Spirit is so refreshing. A, a kid, a kindergarten class is asked a question by the teacher. In kindergarten, as opposed to probably high school, you know what the response is typically, don't you? A question will be raised. Whoa! Everybody, hands up. The typical answer, I don't know. <laughs> Why are they sitting there? Why are they trying to protect? They're needy. They don't know anything. <laughs> They're ready to be shown and told and encouraged and moved along. They're ready for that. It's a picture of trust. Oh, that trust is so wonderful. I don't advocate throwing your kid in the air and make them laugh and all the rest. There could be some problems with that. But if the child isn't dropped, the trust remains intact. Well, Dad's not going to drop me. <laughs> That's how God has ordained that we come to him with a sense of our neediness. Just when we think that we have a sense of independence, God comes along and shows us, and oftentimes in very graphic ways, we're not independent at all. We didn't give ourselves birth. We cannot ultimately sustain ourselves. We can't keep our own health in a consistently good track. We're always needy, always needy. Yeah, but I'm a Christian, always needy. Yeah, but he saved me from my sin. I sin every day. I'm desperately needy. God loves to hear it from his own. So for a Christian, as the invitation is heard and responded to, come to me, you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We go running to Jesus for soul rest. My precious wife Sandy and I are here in this period of time for soul rest. 
and he's giving us soul rest all over the place. It feels so good. Note the neediness of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah was taken by vision from God into the very realms of heaven itself. And in the year of King Isaiah's death, Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw him in his radiance, in his splendor, in his glory. He saw the seraphs, each with six wings. Four served as coverings. Two served as service, ministry. Now they all cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. That word ruined. I am devastated. I am blown apart. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Is there any expression or demonstration of neediness on the part of Isaiah the prophet? One of the greatest prophets who's ever lived. Observation number two. Dependent. Dependent. One comes as a child to be accepted by the Father. He is needy. He is dependent. I appreciated Mike's prayer this morning, not knowing specifically how he was going to pray. And I don't know if Mike knew specifically how he was going to pray uh, that far ahead either. I didn't ask him a long time ago. But he mentioned Jeremiah. And since our services are coordinated by the Holy Spirit of God, it's not uncommon to me to see this thing happen all over again. Note Jeremiah's calling. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a kid. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Don't say, I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them. I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. That sounds somewhat reminiscent of Isaiah's experience when the angel of the Lord took the coal from off the altar and touched his lips. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, My words I have put in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. 
There are six different things here that God gave as a responsibility of Jeremiah the prophet, and four are negative. And Jeremiah had two problems. Number one, he had an inferiority complex. And number two, he was inferior. That's rough. He was dependent on his God. Observation next to the last. Number three, blessed. That is, one comes as a child to be accepted by the Father who is now a recipient of God's grace. He is a blessed one. Are you a blessed one? As God has redeemed you from your sin and called you to serve Him, He has blessed you putting you into the very company of those who exalt His name and fulfill His purpose. We are a redeemed child of God. We are a recipient of daily blessings. We are an inheritor of eternal joys. We are a fellow companion of a host of believers. Do you think we're blessed or not? We are blessed, finally. And this is really my lastly I gave about three lastlies last Sunday evening, I think. This is the last lastly. We are commissioned. Commissioned. When God puts a child on this earth, he has made that child a certain way. He has fitted him to fulfill God's will. And when a child is following God's will, he is no more blessed and no less blessed than those who would serve as a pastor or a missionary. If he's following God's will, he is equally serving the Almighty God. And all class distinctions are gone. He's a servant. He's a servant among the angels. He's a servant among the Old Testament prophets. He's a servant among the New Testament apostles. He is a servant of God. Hence, he is blessed. He's been commissioned. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That's John chapter 15, verse 16. A mother in New England was helping pack a box to be sent to India. Her son, aged four, insisted on putting a leaflet inside entitled, Come to Jesus. His name was written on it with a little prayer. Here's the prayer of the four-year-old child. May the one who gets this soon learn to love Jesus. When the child's leaflet reached that far-off land, it was finally given to a Hindu priest who was teaching the missionaries the language He took it without looking at it, but on his way back to his mountain home, he thought of the leaflet, took it out, and read the writing on the outside. The child's prayer so touched him that he was then eager to read further. He soon gave up his idols and became a devoted missionary to his own people. Fifteen years after that, American missionaries visited this mountain village, and there found the converted Hindu priest 
with a congregation of 1,500 people who had learned to love Jesus as their Savior through the influence and teaching of that leaflet that that little four-year-old child distributed. Isn't it amazing that we can thank the Lord, the Father, who has kept these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them to babes. Brothers and sisters, always come before God and serve him with a childlike, never childish, always childlike spirit. We will continue to be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We thank you for that work on the cross, which brought us not only into a right relationship with you, but glorified your name, redeeming us as a people of your own, setting us free, delivering us from the dominion of darkness, the dominion of Satan, and ushering us into the kingdom of God. To that end, we submit ourselves afresh. Use us, Father. Use even me in whatever ways you have prepared. And do it for the sake of your glorious, magnificent name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.